Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Amy Bird, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. And today we want to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, after talking to, to many lay people in the church, um, there just really seems to be uh, a need to have some more teaching on just how to read a book and uh, better reading habits. Um, they're having trouble sticking to a book or maybe uh, with what we're experiencing with the internet these days, our brains are physiologically changing. Nicholas Carr has written a book about that called The Shallows to where we're we're really just readers to gather information more rather than to uh, read for understanding. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how to read a book, right guys? Yes. Yeah. And we're, I have to say, Amy, absolutely delighted that you've learned to read recently. Um, yeah. I think it's made you a better person. It's made you a more fun conversationalist and a better person. Very <laughs> well, I would, um, I, I mean, obviously I'm a fan of comic books and pop-up books. Uh, well, Scratch and Sniff. Like yeah. I love pictures. I, on a serious note, I think every history book ought to have pictures. Hmm. Carl, well, are you going to do something about that? I I have to admit I've I've been reading a lot of the uh, the the educational political philosopher James Charles recently, Amazing. and he cites peanuts on almost every other page, and he <laughs> has completely go. opened my eyes to the depth of social critique and clever philosophy in peanuts. So. As a serious point, I've actually become a little more positive to the idea of some cartoons. <laughs> and of course, V for Vendetta, you cannot beat V for Vendetta as, oh a, as a graphic novel. Goodness. Um, fantastic. Yeah, because, because England is on the verge of being taken over by right-wing religious extremists. <laughs> That's always the big threat in Western Europe. <laughs> oh, the conservative Christian extremists. Okay, okay. It's just All right, well, let's... It's just cool. Okay. <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we kick this thing off with just, you know, why it's, why it's good to read more books, why it's good to read difficult books even. Why should our listeners read more? Well, the most basic point is reading takes you beyond your immediate context. It expands your horizons. When you read a book of history, you are taken to another time and another place. You are forced to think about how people, made in the image of God, but how people had to think and live differently in other times. And what's interesting about that is it often makes you more sensitive to some of the peculiarities of your own time. So I'd say reading history is a wonderful way of expanding your cultural horizons. And I would say reading novels, reading literature is a wonderful way of expanding your imagination. One of the you know, great things about human beings is that I think, as far as we know, of all creatures on the face of the earth, God made us with imaginations. We are able to imagine other worlds. We are able to imagine other situations. And that, I don't think that's a product of the fall. I think that's, no. ah, I think that's part of reflecting the, the image of God. Mm-hmm. And it's creative. Books, yeah, books and novels 
are the product of that. And being a good steward of the brain that God gave you. I mean, we know a right. lot now these days about the plasticity of the brain, and we know that, among other things, reading uh, Im- improves the brain. It improves uh, neural pathways. Um, it's good for you physically, mentally, emotionally, um, intellectually. It's just good for yeah. you, just yeah. like uh, you know, working out is good for uh, other parts of the body. So uh, it, it's a way to be a good steward of, of what God's given to you. Yeah, yeah. The picture slightly, uh, not a controversial question, but here's, here's a question. You know, should Christians read novels? One of the arguments I've heard is novels are lies. Right. Another argument I've heard is novels create false aspirations. You know, ironically, I could use a novel to prove that. Gustave Flaubert's uh, Madame Bovary that I read just the other week is a, a story about a, a woman who, in part, is is carried away by reading romantic pulp fiction, if you like, and it leaves her permanently dissatisfied with her lot in life and leads her down a path of, of destruction. Uh, should Christians not read novels because they are lies or not read them because... They present or potentially create false aspirations for people when they read them. And I've had those kind of questions asked of me by congregants in the past. Right. Is it a lie if it's called a fiction? <laughs> Good point. Good yeah, point. I, 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 you know, if somebody doesn't want to read fiction, that's fine. But if they use any of those reasons, I think it's specious at best. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if somebody, for whatever reason, has a seared conscience... Um, um, maybe uh, they're, they're concerned that if something in the novel, if there's a, a profane word or something like that, mm. might might sear their conscience. Well, that's their business. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to criticize them for that. But, um, I mean, for me, reading really good fiction and classic fiction um, helps me in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I, would, right. I would say that it helps me as a preacher because it improves my language. Um, it improves my imagination. It helps me think of ways to illustrate the biblical text. Yeah. Yeah. So it also good helps us. Has helped me a lot. It helps us develop critical discernment skills, I believe, too. When you're reading novels, um, you know, as you see a character develop as it's portrayed in a fiction novel, well, um, you can then see, oh, things aren't. You know, we're taught so many things that we may think are black and white, but there's all these nuances that are happening behind the scenes and in ordinary life. Yeah, and I think novels are really good at painting that picture for us. Yeah, they I just bring... read. I, I just read. Um, I just finished. I guess about a week ago, um, a novel by Russell Banks called Affliction, which is a heartbreaking study of the relationship of fathers and sons, particularly where there is alcoholism and violence present. Mm. And um, uh, it was heartbreaking. It was prayer-inducing. Mm. Um, it. It caused me to meditate on certain passages of Scripture. It also gave me empathy uh, for people in the church who I know who struggle greatly mm-hmm. with violence in their past. And this is yeah. just this is yeah. from a really good novel. Yeah. It was yeah. very helpful in that sense. I, I have a similar experience when I read The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene, which mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I would rate as one of the top four or five greatest yeah. novels of all time. Um, it's written from a Catholic perspective, but the issues it raises there about standing for your faith, the nature of martyrdom, and the mediocre nature of, of many of us Christians as we stand for our faith, that it's not a glorious and, and mm. glory-inducing thing. It's something that takes place in the muck of ordinary life. 
and is not as grand as the great hagiographical tales would tell you. Mm-hmm. That was very powerful to me. I, I think that The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene is, I'd say it's a work of genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to think how old he was when he wrote it because it will just make me feel like even more of an abject failure than I do already. <laughs> um, what about poetry? Should Christians read poetry? Absolutely not. It's in scripture. <laughs> should, should Christians read extra scriptural poetry? Um, Todd I, loves uh, Leah's limericks. I mean, I know I like, that yeah, exactly. limerick guy. I, 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 every once in a while, I'll, uh, I don't read much poetry, but I will every once in a while turn to Gerard Man- Manley Hopkins just to be utterly confounded because most of the time I don't know what he's talking about. But it's <laughs> The deep down things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Hopkins is probably yeah a very great poem. I love E. Hausman, uh, The Blue Remembered Hills. It reminds me of the England of my youth, even though it didn't really exist, I presume. <laughs> ah. I so. that Carl emails us sometimes. They're rather clever. <laughs> <laughs> I do write limericks. limericks You're a bit of a poet limericks. yourself, yeah. yeah. The, the top men out there don't know this, but pretty much every top man out there has a limerick that I've written, uh, <laughs> which will appear in my posthumous complete works after I die. <laughs> Less, uh, I don't think you can sue somebody once they're dead, can you? No. Okay, how about, how about this for an English poet here? Uh, John Clare. John Clare, yeah. John Clare was a, a rural uh, poet. He, he wrote about rural life and landscapes and actually quite beautiful stuff. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not much into poetry, but I, I appreciate John Clare. I can Clare. see you smoking your pipe out on your deck. <laughs> I usually don't have poetry with me, though. Okay, here's a question. Here's a question. Um, How about, um, so I'm asked a lot, how do you, you know, you're always referencing books. How do you get that much in? How do you read? Right. Let's talk about some practical tips. How do you two answer that question when you're asked? How how, how do you manage to read so much? Well, I Uh, mean, people say, how do you do it as a mom? Mm -hmm. Amy just looks up the Wikipedia articles. That's all I do. (laughs) I mean, summarizing the novels. (laughs) <laughs> no, really, it's just a matter of plotting through. And I tell, pe- tell people, just be realistic. When you have a book, make some goals. I mean, what is it, 200 pages? So if you read 20 pages a day, mm-hmm. it doesn't take that long to get through a book. Take it with you to the parent pickup line. Take it with you to the doctor's appointments. You always have to wait around in life for different right. things. Right. Read a book then mm-hmm. and, and come with, with clear expectation, I think, is another reason why people stop and don't finish a book is, you know, what is it that you expect to get out of this book? What are you reading that book for? Size it up well before you dig in and then say, oh, this is not what I expected or this is over my head. And, and go ahead and read a little bit out of your league. Mm-hmm. It's okay. That actually helps you to learn more. You don't need to understand everything the first thing, first time through. Yeah. Read it again. Mm-hmm. The second time you read it, you're going to get even more understanding. Yeah. I agree Carl, with Amy. What are your reading habits, Carl? Well, I, I, first of all, I'm fortunate in being paid to read a certain number of books, right. you know, from preparing <laughs> for classes and that. So there is that dimension. The, the, the theology stuff fits into my, my work schedule. But the fiction, the poetry, uh, the, the non-theological reading, I, I love when I, when I travel on planes – that's you know a plane flight is always an opportunity for me to have a couple of hours of uninterrupted reading. I don't do work, uh, I don't watch the movies typically, uh, unless it's a really long flight. I 
I'll read a book uh, of an evening. I'll try to get an hour of reading in of an evening. Switch off the television. Switch off the television and read a book. It's like right. going to the gym. I think you have to be proactive and plan. If you don't you plan time. these days, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Yeah. You make time to sit and read. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things I do. Good book. Right. One of the things I do is um, I'm usually at the coffee shop at 6.30, maybe 7 at the latest. And that gives me time right there. Uh, to read, but like Carl, you know, I'm a pastor, and so part of my time is reading during the day. But when I'm reading stuff like history, biographies, doctrine, that kind of thing, that's usually in in the mornings, earlier, and um, later in the evenings. And and then like you, Amy, I, I don't go anywhere unless I've got at least one right. book. Right, always take a book. And in in the house, I find it's it's good to have a place to go to read. I think that helps, like I, kind of keep my mind away from distractions and to remember, oh yeah, I'm, I'm reading. Yeah. <laughs> if you live in a small house, it's hard to find a place. Yeah. <laughs> but but now, now my kids have left home. Uh, it's, it's quieter and I can, I can sit okay, and so read. Let, let me ask this. So we have somebody listening to us who wants to read more, but they want to make sure that they read uh, good stuff. And so they're thinking, okay, I'd like to, I'd like to beef up some of my, my knowledge in, you know, theology and in the Christian life and that kind of thing. How do I, how do I navigate the stuff out there so that I can be reasonably sure I'm reading, uh, I'm going to invest this time in reading something that's worth reading? What do we tell them? You could ask your pastor. Another thing to do, I, I, I get probably a couple of times a month, I get an email from somebody at the sem- to the seminary asking for my bibliographies, for my courses, right. my MDiv courses. And typically, I'll, you know, if I remember, I'm not overwhelmed with emails that day, I'll, I'll send my bibliography back to them. So, you know, ask somebody who knows what they're talking about in a particular subject. Uh, that would be another way of doing it. Right. Um, browse the internet. You know, if you type in 10 best books on, yeah. Pretty much anything, it'll take you to half a dozen websites, and mm-hmm. you can compare them. And often, if there are two or three books in common on most of those websites, that's a pretty good sign that maybe that's a, mm-hmm. a good book to read. Yeah. Knowing your, read knowing your publishers. Read, read reviews. reviews. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing we like to do over at Mortification Spin a lot. Um, and on the podcast here, we like to talk about good books, and, mm-hmm. and we'll critique. I know I've you know, gone through some of the bestsellers that are marketed to women in the Christian bookstore and done some critical reviews as well. Right. And what do you think about the role of a church library in helping promote reading in the church? It can be good if people, if it's done well and, and, and people take advantage. We, we have a church library and, and the lady in our church who oversees it happens to be somebody who does a really good job of making sure that we carry stuff that's worth reading. And if you have somebody who can do that, then that can be really helpful. We also have a book nook where people can buy books, and, and I just make sure, you know, I'm, I'm the one who selects the books that go in there, and we promote them. Yeah. Uh, I, I've occasionally followed a practice that uh, I shamelessly stole from Mark Dever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark does book giveaways. He actually yes. gives books away to the congregation. And I've, I haven't done that for a couple of months now, but for a while, every three or four weeks, I would give some books away. Sometimes I'd pitch them for just anybody, sometimes for the men, sometimes the women. And every other time, I'd pitch them for the kids. Let's right. get some good kids' books out. That children love being given books, you know, get something for free. So <laughs> I just buy four or five copies of a book and, and, and pitch it to the yep. congregation. Now, that's another way, I think, of getting good literature into people's hands and encouraging them to read it. But as I say, it's not my idea. I, 
I saw some podcast or video interview with Mark Dever when he mentioned that, and I thought, right. yeah, that's, that's a great idea. We, we don't have a lot of money at my church to do that kind of thing, but we have. it doesn't cost much to get something like that mm-hmm. underway. Right. I think what pastors and elders, you know, one way to encourage your congregants to read is to ask them what they're, they've been reading lately. Hmm. You know, just engaging right. in casual conversations. So you've been reading anything good lately. You Stephen, know, it may think Stephen that they would Furtick. like. Stephen Furtick. Stephen <laughs> Furtick. Yes. Yeah. Well, we hope this podcast has given you some thoughts. I think uh, language is one of the the great aspects of the divine image in human beings. The ability to speak, the ability to communicate, the ability to build relationships, the ability to think using language, the ability to write, and the ability to read. These are wonderful, wonderful aspects of being a human being. And we would encourage all of our listeners out there to, to think about their reading habits, to improve their reading habits, and to make sure that, well, if I could put it, uh, put it like this, make sure that you never waste time reading the second best book on any subject. Mm-hmm. Always read the best book on any given subject. So until next time, we'd like to thank you for joining us. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Remember, we are donor-supported, so if you'd like to make a donation to the podcast, uh, please do so. And in the meantime, we look forward to being with you next time. Three favorite cars that get most of my job done. Conjunction, junction, what's their function? I got and button or they'll get you pretty far. And that's an additive like this and that. But that's sort of the opposite, not this, but that. And then there's or, O-R, when you have a choice like this or that. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Were you challenged by today's conversation? Well, then go practice your reading at the Mortification of Spin blog. You can check out Todd's article on gospel-centered monster-making. Then go read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Could she be considered a mainstream Christian author? And come back next week for this conversation. Todd, without uh, being indiscreet. Sure. Oh, actually, you can be indiscreet I'm, if you want. I'm, 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 I'm in the mood. It's been yeah. a long day. I'm in the mood to be, yeah, well, be very as indiscreet, indiscreet as you want. So we thought, you know, maybe it would be good to discuss the topic of pastoral burnout. Mm, I feel burned out, so yeah. let's do this. Yeah. That's next time on Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. I wish I'd got my one anecdote about re- in a sermon once I referred to the fact that I love reading. I said, I said one of my elders, Ben Darwin, he hates love. He, he hates reading love stories. I said, I love reading 19th century uh, love stories as long as everybody dies in the end. <laughs> and one of the parents came up with it. They got their kids to do notes on my sermon each week. And the, the sole note was, Mr. Darvang doesn't like love stories. Mr. Truman likes love stories as long as everyone dies. <laughs> 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 so <laughs>